Praise the Lord, everybody. We want to welcome everyone to church tonight. And uh, you that are joining us on the internet, on our broadcast, we want to welcome you. I ask you, as members of the First Pentecostal Church, if you would gather around, turn your house into a church house tonight, and uh, let's have church. Let's focus on what God has for us, what God is going to do for us. We're glad to have Brother and Sister Smith here with us. Brother Smith will be preaching here shortly. Sister Smith will be singing. Of course, Brother Smith will be playing the piano. So we're looking forward to what God is going to do for us tonight. We need God's help. We need God's divine intervention. We need God's strength. And I trust in Him because God is the only thing that we can find security in in this world that we live in today. We want to take needs to the Lord tonight. We want to pray especially for all of those who are sick. There's a lot of people that are sick in our community. There's a lot of people that's sick in our state, in our country, and in our world. And uh, we want to pray for them and ask the Lord to touch them. We want to pray for our, immediately ch- our immediate church family that are sick and ask God to touch them. Brother Stanley called me a few moments ago, texted me a few moments ago, is in need of a touch from the Lord. We know a God that is a miracle worker, and He has done it before, and He's able to do it now. And He didn't bring us this far to leave us, but He's here to help us in the time of need. We're serving a God that does not run when it gets troublesome times, but He's always there for us. So let's pray for those. Let's pray for Brother Harvey Ashcraft. He needs a touch from the Lord. Sister Carly uh, Sumner needs a touch from the Lord. Sister Joyce Nunn needs a touch from the Lord. Brother Chris William needs a touch from the Lord. Brother Richard, Sister Alice, their family needs a touch from the Lord tonight. And we know a God that is a miracle worker. And we want to ask God to come into our homes tonight, that He would give all of us strength and help and peace that only He can give. So let's, why don't, why don't you just join me right now? And uh, stand in your home, lift your hands toward heaven, and ask God to help us today. God, we bring these needs before you. We know, Savior, that you are able. We know, God, that you are a miracle worker. Our faith, our confidence, our trust, and our hope is in you, God. We ask you, Lord, that you would heal those who are sick. God, that You would work miracles tonight, Lord, as we listened to the song a few moments ago in worship, Lord. We know that miracles can happen, and I pray, God, that miracles would happen today, Lord, that You would protect us from this virus, God, that You would heal the ones who are dealing with this virus today. We know, God, that You are a miracle worker in our faith, our confidence, and our trust is in You. I pray, Lord, that You would anoint the singing of Sister Smith tonight. I pray, God, that You would anoint Brother Smith, that he brings a word to us. God, help us to open up our hearts and our spirits and receive Your Word, that it would bless us tonight, and we give You praise. Why don't everybody in the house today, in your houses today, just give God praise and glory for what God has done what God is doing and what God is about to do in our lives today. We worship You today and we magnify You and give You glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I guess if you're standing in your home, you can be seated. 
but uh, I want to make a few announcements tonight. And uh, I was reading some things before a service and due to the spur of the moment and uh, things that transpired last night, uh, we had to change the order of services for today. And uh, so Wednesday night will continue as they are right now. Uh, we will be doing an online service, and um, uh, I I want to do that this week. And then Sunday, uh, which is Easter Sunday, we will be having a uh, big outdoor service. They want us to stay in our cars. I know that is very difficult for us to do. And uh, I expect the Holy Ghost to move, so it even makes it even more difficult to do. So uh, we will be gathering here. Um, as of right now, we want everyone to park as close to the gym area as you can get. Uh, leave space, uh, room between your vehicles. And uh, let's try to uh, do that and distance ourselves from one another that will that will be where we will have the music set up as of right now. Um, they are calling for rain, and so that will be the plan now. If it's a sunshiny day and there is no problem, uh, we will probably be over here closer to the church than the gym. But as of right now, the music and stuff will be set up there. Uh, when we preach, uh, we will have a platform that we'll uh, be standing on where everyone can see us. And uh, looking forward to God doing something great in the service. So uh, I would like you to attend if you feel comfortable with doing so. And uh, I don't know uh, how this stuff uh, spreads. I know it spreads. And uh, I don't know how it is. I don't know if it can crawl inside the cars, if it can just find you no matter where you are. We have people that have not even been out that are dealing with... Uh, uh, issues and uh, so every time you get a sneeze a sniffle a cough or a little fever now we automatically are in panic mode and uh, but I know this that God is able to protect us from getting it and uh, if we do get it God is still able to heal us and uh, so that is our prayer today I wish that God would keep everybody from getting it not only in our church but across this world where things can get back uh, as close to normal as we will ever become. And I pray for all of those tonight that are suffering uh, due to this, not only the virus, but the, uh, the aftershock of what this has caused. The economy crashed. People has lost their life savings. People has lost their retirement. And uh, probably uh, there's going to be a lot more to come before it gets better. But we want to pray that God would let us all get back to work soon and jobs would pick up and uh, the economy would pick up and everything go back to normal. And the main thing, we can all gather together. It's been almost a month now since we've all been together in the house of the Lord. And uh, I do miss that. I miss each and every one of you being able to see you, being able to shake your hand, being able to greet you with a, a neck hug. And I don't do the holy kissing stuff, but I do like to hug people's neck. But uh, we are missing that. We're missing the fellowship one with the other. And uh, so we're looking forward to getting back to that. This will, I pray that this would help us to appreciate the church 
and appreciate our brother and sister even more when we all get back together. And so I was reading some things this afternoon, and uh, this is something I would like to address. This is these, these are things totally out of my control. We are a close-knit uh, group of people, and churches are more like family than any other thing. And I, I want more than just, we're not just a social club, but we are a family. We are the family of God. And so with that being said... Uh, we may, we don't just get together at church. We get together, uh, outside of the church. I have tried my best to, uh, promote and encourage social distancing while we have been having services, uh, where people could come. We have busted up the service and, uh, small groups and had multiple services where we could do that. And I cannot control what you do when you leave this place. But I would ask you, please, let's not spend a lot of time socializing with one another, going to one another's house. I know a lot of us are actually blood kin. And uh, so I don't know how you address all those issues, but I was reading and they said that is that is one of the main reasons why there's outbreaks in churches. It's not necessarily you don't catch it at church. You catch it with people that you're connected to through the church. And uh, so <clears throat> I ask you to be very careful. Let's protect ourselves. Let's think about other people and try to protect them as well as we can. So remember next Sunday. Next Sunday is a, a uh, big Sunday. It's normally our biggest service of the year. And uh, the devil has tried to put a damper on that. But uh, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate that he is risen. He is alive, and He's still in control. So that service will start at 10.30. I want to keep that at 10.30 because that's what we are accustomed to for the last month. So remember that. That is 10.30. I want you to spend more time, especially uh, this weekend since we have not been able to gather together at all, uh, I want you to spend more time through the day if you could come by here and pray if you're not comfortable with getting out anywhere. Just pull in the church parking lot, sit in your car, and have a prayer meeting. But if you, if you can, come into the house of God, spend some time in prayer. I think it is very important that we stay very familiar and very connected with not only one another, but the church. I ask you to call one another, encourage one another, especially new converts. Call them and let them know that we are praying for them. We are doing courtesy calls. I'm not able to call everybody. So I ask you, please, to take those who are calling on my behalf as a call from me, that we are concerned about each and every saint of God, every member, and we're trying our best to stay in contact with each and every one. I appreciate everyone being faithful in their giving and uh, I know it's a very difficult time. Some people doesn't have anything to give right now, and I understand that. But we are believing that God will provide and make a way where there seemeth to be no way. Due to uh, the things that are going on, we have a new way that we have set up to give where you don't have to come by here. You don't have to write a check or whatever. Uh, so that is, if you'll take a pen and piece of paper, write this down. 
It is text to give. You just text this number, 855-557-5324. And uh, there will be props on that. You will receive a text back. And it will give you the direction of what you, uh, where you need to do. And, uh, it will let you put funds in different, uh, areas, building fund, uh, expense, our general fund, our offering, our tithing. So that is made available to you. And, uh, we want to thank you for all of your faithfulness and your support and everybody being so faithful. Thank you. I want to personally say thank you to everyone who has texted me today, who has called me today. It's much easier to text. I can't talk to everybody. And I want to thank you for your text. And I do respond the majority of the time. We're short with very short text back. That's because I'm not uh, savvy in texting. And uh, so I just get to the point. But I want you to know from my heart and my family's heart, we do appreciate it very much. And uh, we're all going through this together. Notice that I said we're all going through this together. We're not going to get stuck in this, but we're going through this. There is a brighter day. There is a sunrise on the way. And I believe, I believe this, that God has great things in store for the church. And uh, the devil does everything he can to destroy it. He's tried to uh, burn it out. He's tried to stomp it out. He's tried to put it in prison to stop the flames of revival. But he cannot do it because greater is he that is in us, in us, than he that is in the world. God has great things in store. And I ask you to rely upon God. Turn your face toward God. Get your Bible out. I said that this morning, and I'll say again, get your Bible out. That old book that's been sitting on the shelf because we have all kinds of new things and new devices, but those things can distract us. Get the Word of God out. Read the Word of God because there is faith-building material in the Word of God. So I encourage you to do that. Let's have church tonight. Let's help. I know Brother Smith cannot hear your voice, but he can feel your spirit as you preached. I felt the Holy Ghost in here today. I could feel. I could not hear your voice. I think there was two people in here. Brother Nathaniel and Brother Kerry was in here. I could not hear your voice. I could not hear your hand clap, but I could feel your spirit as the Holy Ghost was moving upon me to preach the Word of God to each and every one of you today. So we ask you to join in, help Brother Smith preach, help Sister Smith sing, let's worship the Lord together. Brother Smith, Sister Smith, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here. And I want to tell you, I know they're kind of stuck here right now, but I want, I want the church to know, I want them to know how much of a strength and a help you are to me in this time of difficulty in all of our lives across this world. And uh, we're glad that you're here. Want Brother Smith, Sister Smith to sing, Brother Smith to obey the Lord. Everybody, everybody just say, God bless Brother Smith in your home tonight.
When I'm tossed on life's sea And the waves threaten me And the dark clouds won't let the sunshine through Then a voice seems to say Child, there'll be a brighter day Don't allow the storms to hide sweet heaven's view Cause you've got one more valley, one more hill Maybe one more trial, one more tear One more curve in life's road Maybe one more mile to go And you can lay down your heavy load when you get home. Don't let Satan see your tears. Learn to smile through all your fears. Hold your head up high and give the world a smile. Just be faithful all the way. It will be worth it all someday. For it's all going to be over after a while. Because you've got one more valley, one more One more tear, one more curve in life's road, maybe one more mile to go, and you can lay down your heavy load when you get home. You in life's road. Go and you can lay down your heavy load when you get home. Lay down your heavy load when you get home. Why? steps are slow. If your life has been spent for Jesus, you don't have much farther Be strong.
strong now and keep right on a going. Don't be angry when things all go wrong. Don't give up cause it's almost over. hope of the soul, a hope this world can't give us, and a hope the world cannot take away from us. I thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank God for being real, not only in the good times of life, but in the challenging hours as well. And what a faithful God our God is. The psalmist said, our God is great, and He is above all. God's. I'm happy tonight. I know the name of Jesus. I'm thankful we can call on the name of Jesus and know that any time of the day or the night when we look in His direction, He's also looking toward us. Amen. God bless you. What a wonderful privilege to be at First Pentecostal Church of Silsby, Texas. It's been a privilege to be here with Pastor and Sister Looper over the last few weeks, and I appreciate so much the hospitality that they have shown to us, the kindness not only of the Looper family, but I give honor and esteem to Elder and Sister Duplissy and to the wonderful church family here at First Pentecostal Church of Silsby. It's always a joy to come, and it's a privilege tonight to turn our hearts and our attention to the Word of the Lord. Pastor Looper has already mentioned, and I hope you have your Bibles with you and that you are ready to look into the Word of the Lord. Now, I do use a lot of Scripture throughout my preaching and teaching, and so at times I only reference verses may not be possible for you to turn to all of the scriptures that I will reference to find them and read them. But you may want a piece of paper close by with a pen or a pencil that you can just jot down a few scripture 
references, and as the week goes on, you can turn to these verses. You can read them for yourselves and see what the Word of the Lord has to say to us. Concerning the day in which we presently live, Bible writers penned words of great challenge so that we could be keenly aware of world conditions in the end time. For example, Isaiah prophesied in chapter 5 and verse 20 of his prophecy. He said that people would call evil good. And at the same time, they would say that good is evil. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 6 said, The light shall not be clear nor dark, neither day nor night. In his second letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul warned in chapter 3 and verse 1, he warned that the last day would be a perilous time. And in speaking of the hour in which we presently live, Jesus foretold in Matthew 24 and verse number 12, iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. In the same context, the Lord Jesus prophesied that a flood tide of delusion will surely overspread the earth. And we hear him say in verse number 24 of Matthew 24, insomuch that if it be possible, the very elect of God shall be deceived. He further cautioned in verse 22 that except the days be shortened no flesh should be saved. These are scriptural prophecies concerning the day and the time in which we are presently living. While indeed we're offered possibilities like we've never known before, nonetheless it's also a very critical time for the church of Jesus Christ as we approach the soon coming of our Lord for his own. In fact, in his second epistle, Peter cautioned one and all concerning the naughtiness of this present hour. And he forewarned in chapter 2 and verse 1 that false teachers would circulate among us bringing in damnable heresies, denying the Lord. And in verse 2, he spoke of the evil that would be spoken concerning the way of truth, causing many to follow their destructive ways. And so it is to the people of God I preach tonight. We have an arch enemy, an enemy who is working all the time to weaken and ultimately destroy the Lord's work, not only at, at large, not only in other parts of the world, but within the very thoughts and the desires of each and every one of us individually. In fact, it matters not to our adversary whether his insidious attack is against a newcomer or some beloved saint of God who's been in the church for many years, who's been part of the church maybe for 
for most of their lifetime, some, or even a preacher of the gospel for that matter, who's been entrusted with the true mysteries of God. Satan's interest is in people, young and old alike. However, with particular caution, he observes the weak and the indecisive who are marred with character flaws. You see, our enemy has a singular purpose, and that is to ultimately destroy God's work within individual Christians and within the church as a whole. In the first two chapters of the book of Job, we observe Satan walking to and fro in the earth. And Peter tells us in his first epistle, chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter speaks of our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Strangely enough, far too many so-called good people of this hour seem to think that they are totally exempt from the enemy's tactics. However, in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, beginning at verse number 14, Paul exposes Satan's agenda as that of deception, telling us that the enemy cunningly presents himself as an angel of light. And his servants are disguised as ministers of righteousness. It is therefore with keen awareness that I build tonight's message on a foundation of clarion challenge. My text, taken from the second chapter of the book of Hebrews, beginning at the very first verse, where the writer admonishes all of us, to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we would let them slip. For if words spoken of angels or by angels were steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, we're asked in verse number 3, How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first begun to be, began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. I also want us to notice words of the Lord Jesus himself found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12 verse number 48 where Jesus said, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. I hope that you will hear the preacher this evening as I boldly declare that everything that pertains to our holy God And a daily Christian life should forever be sacred to each and every one of us. Now let me explain. Let me define that which is sacred is set apart. It's hallowed, entitled to respect. And for certain, anything sacred should never 
be taken for granted. On the other hand, something that is common is merely ordinary. Anything common bears no mark of distinction at all. Thus, I've titled my message this evening, The Sacred Must Never Become Common. The Sacred Must Never Become Common. I'm reminded of the occasion when King David, along with 30,000 chosen men of Israel, went down to Gibeah to bring back the Ark of the Covenant from, from Gibeah to Jerusalem. With great excitement, God's people gathered at the house of Abinadab, where the Ark of God had been stowed. And while people played upon musical instruments and they danced before the Lord of hosts, Second Samuel chapter 6, verse number 3, relates that the ark of God was set upon a new cart. Now, that's totally contrary to the command and direction of God. But the scripture says the ark of God was set upon a new cart. Verse number 6, And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, the oxen stumbled, so that the ark shook. And a man by the name of Uzzah put forth his hand to steady the ark. Now, a careful look into what actually transpired that day reveals that in an atmosphere of great celebration, God's command had apparently become commonplace. It had become so common until it was totally unnecessary according to Uzzah's way of thinking. He, he ignored the command of God, and others that had placed this ark of God upon a new cart, they also ignored the command of God. However, I want to ask a simple question for us to consider in this message tonight. Just because man deems what is sacred to be non-essential, does such rationale actually alter the mind of God in any way? Of course not. In fact, as we look at verse number 7 of Second Samuel chapter 6, it's obvious that the sacred had become so common until God's anger was kindled against Uzzah and God smote him so that he died by the ark of God. So we see all of the shouting, all of the dancing, and the rejoicing among God's people at Gibeah that day did not in any way change or alter the command of God concerning the Ark of the Covenant and how very sacred it should have been to God's people, the Israelites. And the fact remains that God's judgment fell upon Uzzah that day because the sacred had become common to him. In like manner, it's totally possible for people to gather in atmospheres of excitement and praise 
whether it be in a church building, whether it be as you have gathered in your own home setting tonight, but it is possible to gather in atmospheres of excitement and praise and all the while merely be mechanical in outward expressions of worship to God. We can learn how to say, praise the Lord. We can learn how to say, Hallelujah. We can learn how to clap our hands, to raise our hands, or even to dance before the Lord. But I want to caution you. Don't ever allow your outward expression of worship to God to become a mere mechanical action. You see, that's how backsliders and those who are lukewarm in heart can so easily trample all over the shells and shall nots of God's holy word. And at the same time, that's how people can be so in your face with lifestyles that are blatantly contrary to God's holy ways. However, May the good God of heaven help every one of us to be keenly aware of the danger involved when we allow what is truly sacred to become common. In the first chapter of the Roman epistle, the Apostle Paul speaks in verse number 18 about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of those who hold truth. How? Truth in unrighteousness. And he said in verse 20 that such people are without excuse. In other words, they may hold truth in unrighteousness, but they are in it. they are not to be excused in doing so. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. While knowing so very much about God, yet these very people took sacred things for granted. And reading further in this chapter, we find tragic results for such carelessness. In verse 22, it speaks of them professing themselves to be wise. They became Fools. In verse number 23, it speaks of them changing the glory of the incorruptible God. In verse 25, they're changing the truth of God into a lie. And yet, since they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge, in verse number 28, we read that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And then in verse number 32, the apostle declares, While knowing so very well about the judgment of God, yet such people not only ignore its severity, but at the same time they actually take pleasure in people who do perverse Things. May God have mercy on us as His people of these last days that we would refuse to allow the sacred to ever become common to us. I wonder if we truly understand the significance of this particular passage from Romans chapter 1. 
Paul emphatically spoke of people who knew so much about God that they were without excuse. What should have been sacred to them simply became commonplace. And that, beloved, is very tragic indeed. In all honesty, none of us can afford to toy with the sacred things of God. If time permitted, this evening I'd address the folly of Adam and Eve. And I'd call your attention to the calamity of King Saul and the needless demise of a world ruler named Belshazzar. I'd also mention a couple in the New Testament by the name of Ananias and Sapphira who were part of that early church at Jerusalem. But what I really want to emphasize about each and every one of them is this. What should have been sacred became common. And subsequently, boundary lines that once were vivid became so blurred until there was no longer any distinction between what was true and a lie. And the Almighty became no different to them than as if He were an ordinary man. However, we need to understand in the final analysis that all of these that I have just mentioned, whether it be Adam and Eve, King Saul, Belshazzar, Ananias, and Sapphira, all of them had to pay a bitter price for allowing the sacred to become common. There's an interesting passage of Scripture in the 18th chapter of John's Gospel. And this particular chapter addresses various events leading up to the Lord's betrayal and His subsequent crucifixion. In the very first verse, we're told that Jesus went with His disciples over the brook Kidron. And he entered into a garden. And we're further told that Judas also knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Then we come to verse 3 and read about a band of soldiers and guards from the chief priests and the Pharisees coming thither with lanterns and torches and weapons now. In particular, I'm going to verse number 5. I want us to closely look at verse number 5 of this 18th chapter of John, where it says, And Judas also, which betrayed him, speaking of betraying the Lord, stood with them. Who was he standing with? Judas was with the very soldiers and guards who were sent by the high priests and the Pharisees to arrest Jesus. And Judas was standing with them. How, this, how very disappointing, to say the least. How do you suppose that a chosen disciple of the Lord Jesus one who had oft times accompanied the Master to the Garden of Gethsemane, was able to so easily desecrate such a hallowed 
place. You see, Gethsemane was their prayer place. Judas was familiar with it. He had been there oft times with Jesus. How could he desecrate it now by taking those who were enemies of the Lord to betray the Master? In all honesty, I believe the answer should be clear for all of us. For Judas, the garden prayer room had become too commonplace. Thus, on that particular night, he simply barged right into such a hallowed setting with known enemies of truth. And there, in what should have been a very sacred place to him, Judas actually betrayed the Lord. And to me, that is a very scary thought. What was sacred had become common. What used to be a familiar place of prayer was now the setting for the master's betrayal. However, as I view the overall landscape of today's apostolic Pentecostal movement, I can't help but recognize excessive frivolity in far too many settings. Sad to say, but we're living in a day where the light, as the prophet of old said, the light is neither clear nor dark. And lines that once separated righteous living from sinful ways of the world are no longer as distinct as they ought to be. And thus the narrow path and the broad way once Paths that were so very far apart are now looked upon by many, even so-called Christians, as one super highway where you can go your way and I'll go mine. And bless God, we'll all get to heaven at the very same time. But I want you to know, while people may say such a ditty, while people may make such a statement, it is so far from what the Bible has to say. It's not a matter of you going your way and me going mine and all of us getting to heaven at the same time. There is a matter of truth from the Word of God. There is a straight and a narrow way that leads unto life. And the Bible said, few there be that find it. I wonder tonight, I can't help but wonder if perhaps someone who's listening into this very meeting may be allowing sacred things within your own life to become common even as we are speaking. I recall words of Ezra the scribe found in the 8th chapter of his Old Testament record. I will not take the time to read the verses, but for your attention, begin reading at about verse number 24 later this week and read down through the next several verses. I'm greatly challenged, to say the least, for at the very outset of the Jews' perilous journey from the land of captivity back to their beloved Jerusalem, Hebrew priests and Levites were thoroughly charged with stringent accountability. They were informed that all the sacred vessels, along with every piece of silver and gold that was distributed to them as they gathered by a harbor river, would be carefully 
wade back in whenever they finally arrived in Jerusalem. Yes, it would be a challenging journey from their place of captivity, from the land that, from the place where they were now going back to Jerusalem. But when they got there, they were charged. They would have to give account. And so it happened. Verse number 33 tells us that on the fourth day after they had returned to Jerusalem, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed in the house of God by the hand of Merimuth and others. Verse 34 talks about every ounce, every gram by number and weight to the man was weighed in until a complete record was made. In other words, what they left with, they had to arrive with. There was going to be an accounting of what had been distributed to them and what they would carry back to Jerusalem. In New Testament Scripture, Apostle Paul gave a very similar challenge to young Timotheus whenever he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Then he said in verse 14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Verse 15, meditate upon these things and give thyself wholly to them. In verse 16, Paul said to young Timothy, take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. Preceding these words of instruction, Paul's solemn charge to Timothy was in verse 11, these things command and Teach. In chapter 2 of his second letter to Timothy, the apostle further wrote in verse number 2, The things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall teach others also. To be most frank this evening, every apostolic Pentecostal believer, whether it be a minister or saint, every one of us has been entrusted with some sacred treasures. Treasures that one day soon are going to have to be weighed back in. As we stand before the judge of all, let there be no mistake about it. Each and every one of us will give a thorough account of sacred treasures on that great and final day. And of necessity, according to Scripture, it's going to be line upon line. It's going to be line upon line and precept upon precept. I promise you, my brother, my sister, none of us can afford to be wanting in the balance when we reach such a solemn place. For on that final day, there'll be no more opportunity for adjustments of any kind. The traditions of our beloved elders will be weighed back in. And convictions pertaining to separation from a sinful world and righteous living before a holy God will be weighed on scales 
of God's unchanging principles. Present day doctrinal teachings will be balanced on the same accurate scales of God's infallible Word used to weigh in the teachings of Peter and Paul and weighing in the teachings of all others who blazed a holy apostolic trail before us. In fact, you and I will be standing side by side with beloved pioneers of ages past who willingly denied themselves in the face of severe persecution. Some of them facing death itself, and yet they remain staunch defenders of the faith, and they courageously endured to the end. How can I allow the sacred to become so common that it doesn't matter to me like it mattered to beloved elders and pioneers of yesteryear? Indeed, it is with great fear and trembling this evening that I search my own heart in the presence of Almighty God, lest the apostolic baton that has been passed to me should ever become common, and I would fall short of the very favor of God. I have to tell someone this evening, history proves that once an individual or a church group ever compromises a single position of God's Word, there is little or no chance whatsoever for a safe return to what was originally adhered to. And that's why before you remove a fence, you better be sure why the fence was positioned there in the first place. That's why before you do away with a landmark, you better understand the importance of the landmark. You see, that's reason enough for me to never allow what is sacred to become common. The morning of December the 7th, the year 1941, found 353 Japanese planes swarming all over Pearl Harbor, a U.S. Air Force base on the Hawaiian Islands. And within two hours' time, the United States of America had lost eight battleships, six major airfields, and most every airplane at that particular base, along with 2,400 servicemen. The horrific bombing of Pearl Harbor took place just before 8 in the morning in what supposedly was a surprise attack. However, the startling facts that soon began to unfold revealed quite a different scenario. On that particular Sunday morning at 7 a.m., while Japanese warplanes were still 50 minutes, nearly one hour away, two U.S. sailors manning a small radar station in the Pacific Ocean noticed dots and more dots 
showing up on the radar screen that was positioned in front of them. So much so until the entire screen was literally filled with dots. By obligation, they quickly notified their youthful supervisor, who was the only higher rank officer on duty at the time. When he in turn assessed the puzzling scenario, he assumed the dots in question were most likely planes coming in from the United States as reinforcements. Thus, with no alarm at all and without further investigation, he simply dismissed the sailors' concern by telling them not to worry about it anymore. Truthfully, however, at that particular moment, there still may have been sufficient time for U.S. military personnel at Pearl Harbor to get planes into the air to prepare battleships for attack and to shelter hundreds of vulnerable men. Nevertheless, a youthful lieutenant was much too reckless in what should have been a very weighty decision, especially in light of his commanding role. So careless was he until he viewed and dismissed approaching disaster as merely an ordinary situation in the course of daily duty. And thus it happened at the most strategic moment of his entire career. This lieutenant betrayed fellow comrades and failed his nation. What should have been so very, very important was passed off. Beloved saints and to people who are listening to this message on a Sunday evening, I can't help but wonder, while so busy with everyday life, are we also recognizing that sacred things are losing distinction for many so-called Pentecostals? And is it possible that even as I preach the Word of God tonight, someone may be trading your convictions for convenience? Are you allowing everyday choices that affect present and future posterity to merely become mundane. I want to say to everyone under the sound of the preacher's voice tonight, we dare not cower now. And we must not fail in this crucial hour. Jude delivered a most soul-stirring challenge found in the third verse of his epistle. As he said, Beloved, I exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. We're advised by the wise man of Proverbs in chapter 23, verse 23, to buy the truth and sell it not. Paul admonished faithful brethren at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, he said, Stand fast in the faith. In the third chapter of the same epistle, Paul further declared in verse 9, We're laborers together 
with God. Going on, he said, I've laid the foundation and others build thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds. Then in verse 11, Paul wrote, there is no other foundation. Warning that whatever's built there upon, verse 13, he said it's going to be tried by fire, regardless of what it is and who the builder may be. It doesn't matter that David Smith has been preaching for nearly 50 years. It doesn't matter that when I was born, my parents were already in the apostolic way. It doesn't matter that this is all I've known all of my life. The only thing that matters is the sacred must never become common to me. You see, a day of reckoning will surely come for one and for all. Therefore, in bold response to the Apostle's somber challenge of yesteryear, I lift my voice and I solemnly pledge to be most careful how I build upon the apostolic foundation which was laid with great care some 2,000 years ago. Furthermore, I vow before Almighty God to build not only for time, but for all eternity too. Oh, there's a tomorrow coming. There's a glad tomorrow coming for the people of God. A tomorrow of cloudless days. A tomorrow where we'll be in the presence of God forever and ever. That is, if we refuse to allow the sacred to ever become common to us. My fellow believers, countless numbers of people who have been faithful stewards of God's manifold riches, are going to stand in judgment with us one day. And they will condemn anyone at all who has allowed the sacred to become common. I don't have time to go into all the examples tonight. But I could take you back into Old Testament Scripture. We could talk about a man by the name of Naboth who refused to sell, to exchange, or give up his vineyard because it was the inheritance of his fathers. We could talk about Daniel from the Old Testament Scripture who purposed in his heart not to eat the king's meat. And when tested further, he refused to even obey the king's decree. Rather, he opened his window three times a day to lift his voice in prayer to Jehovah God. We could talk about the Hebrew man named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood firm by their commitment not to bow down before the king's image. We could talk about John the Revelator, who remained faithful to God in the face of severe tribulation. And in spite of such trying circumstances, he was able to get in the spirit on the Lord's day. We could talk about Stephen who laid down his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How about James, the brother of John, who defended this apostolic faith and was beheaded at Jerusalem. There was Paul who suffered terrible and repeated persecution for the gospel's sake. Yet he declared, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself 
that I might finish my course with joy. The apostles of the early church, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. And they ceased not to teach or to preach that Jesus was Christ. We could talk about the heroes of faith that we read about in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. They had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. The Bible said in verse 37, Hebrews 11, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted and slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Nevertheless, verse 39 says, they all obtained a good report through faith. And then there are the overcomers spoken of in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation who were victorious. The Bible said in verse 11, they loved not their lives unto the death and they were victorious by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. While giving a speech one day to a group of college students, the president of that particular college issued a solemn challenge to all of the students in the assembly. He said, I want all of you to take a little note card and I want you to put it in a conspicuous place where it will serve as a constant reminder to you. And then he said, I want you to write these words on the card. These were the words. Truth is outraged by silence. Truth is outraged by silence. I'm afraid far too many ministers, church leaders, and beloved saints of God in this hour simply want to bury their heads or look another direction. When truthfully, it's time for somebody to speak up and say something. We must not allow the sacred to become common. Thank God for the pastor of this church. Thank God for a voice that is lifted consistently to hold fast to the tradition of the elders and the truth of the Word of God. But I want to say to everybody listening to me tonight, it's not just the pastor's voice. There must be the voice of leaders in the homes. There must be the voice of parents that will reinforce and stand behind the teaching of the beloved pastor. We must refuse to ever allow the sacred to become common. Because all round about us, little by little, dangerous changes are becoming part and parcel of the Pentecostal landscape. And things that once were sacred are disappearing. I'm not being negative, I'm being realistic. 
I'm telling you the way it is. Things that once were sacred are endangered today. However, I hope that you'll hear me as an old-fashioned preacher this evening declaring to you that the shells and the shall-nots of Holy Writ are just as important now as they've ever been. In fact, in closing, I want to remind somebody of the words of Jesus found in the 16th chapter of Luke's Gospel in verse 17 when he said, It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one jot or tittle of the law to fail. That jot or tittle is a very minute point. But Jesus said even that will not pass away. My brothers, my sisters, friends that are listening Young people, even children that are hearing the word of God go forth in this broadcast tonight. We cannot be silent now. And since failure is definitely not an option for the apostolic Pentecostals of the 21st century, then the sacred must never become common to us. I hope your heart is open to the Lord tonight. I hope not only have your ears heard the word, I hope your heart is open to the conviction of God's word and spirit. I hope that you will do a self-examination, a soul search, that you will ask God to shine the searchlight of heaven Upon your soul tonight. To look down inside of you. To search the thoughts of your mind. The desires of your heart. Even your daily ambitions. And if there's anything there. That is not what it ought to be. Tonight. Even in your home. Wherever you are. Why don't you lift your eyes in God's direction. Why don't you call upon his name. And say help me Jesus to be everything you want me to be, not only now, but every day to come as well. Oh, in the midst of these unprecedented times that we're living in, facing the challenges that we're encountering right now, it's a good time for us to be sure we're not taking sacred things for granted, but to realize how important they should be to us, how special they really are. And oh, to let the Lord know we're going to walk with Him. We're going to talk with Him. We're going to live for Him. And we're going to be ready to meet Him on that day when all of us will give an account in standing before God. May God bless you. It's been a privilege to be with you over uh, the uh, radio or over the broadcast tonight to be able to minister the word of the Lord. Let the Spirit of God continue to deal with you. I'm asking the pastor if he would just uh, come and however he feels to close this service. God bless all of you. Let's walk right. Let's talk right. Let's live right. Let's be right. And let's be ready to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Why don't everybody lift your hands wherever you're at and give God praise for His Word right now.
We're going to take a, a moment right now. We're going to play a song. Why don't we all get together with our families? Let's worship and praise God for this glorious truth that we have heard in the Word of God tonight. Praise God. Why don't you let God touch your heart right now? Why don't you let God give you strength and help right now? In Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't you join me in your home and let's just give God praise for what He has said to us tonight. The Word of God. I'm thankful, Lord. I thank you for speaking to us tonight. Thank you, God, for your help. Thank you, God, for your strength. Thank you, God, for your Word tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Thank you so much, Brother Smith, for the Word of God. Amen, amen. If you didn't help anybody else, you helped me, and I appreciate the Word of God tonight. I don't ever want to let the things that God has blessed us with, these sacred things, go the way of all the earth and just pass away. I want to hold fast to this truth that is in God's Word. I want to hold fast to the traditions that have been handed down to us through the Word of God. Amen. I'm thankful. Thank you so much, Brother Smith. I want to thank you all for joining us tonight, being faithful for tuning in and listening to the services and worshiping along with us. I pray that this will soon cease and be over. We can all be together again and uh, that we will take it and we will hold it a lot closer to our hearts when we're able to congregate together and worship God and just have a good old time shouting party around here. Amen. Remember the service Sunday, service Wednesday night will be as it is tonight. We will be doing it uh, online and uh, then uh Service Sunday starting at 10.30. Everyone that possibly can, let's come out. We're going to be in the parking lot. We're going to have church and uh, have a great move of God and celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that He is risen. Amen. I'm glad that He died on Calvary. I'm glad that He was buried, buried in a borrowed tomb. But I'm extremely glad that He resurrected from the dead. Amen. Lord bless you. Uh, we'll be praying for you. Be checking in with everyone. Remember to call each other. Uh, remember, try to keep your socializing to a minimum. I know I'm beating a dead horse. And uh, I know I'm guilty of uh, not living by that rule. Because uh, that's just hard to change over a, core, over a period of a few weeks. Change your whole perspective of life. And uh, try to stay safe. Keep everyone around you safe. Lord bless you. You can be dismissed in Jesus' name.